that's what faith is about. You know, when you understand that, I don't want to say that I believe in predestiny, but I believe that every footstep we take is actually a a step in the direction that we should be going if we're doing the right things and we're doing them for the right reasons. You know, so many people, like you said, are motivated by money. Well, money is never going to satisfy you. You may be able to have tons of it at some times and sometimes you don't have any. And I've been there in my life. You know, I mean, you know, in 2006, when I lost my wife of 38 years to cancer, you know, I lost $2.9 million in medical bills that I paid. I could have sat down and cried about it and decided that that wasn't, you know, that that was going to destroy me. But I had to make a choice that I was going to rise above it and make something great out of it. I promised her I would. And, uh, you know, I just... I just keep on doing the right thing. I've done it since I was nine years old, you know, so, but we'll talk about all that. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 515. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and today I am thrilled to be welcoming Art Costello, an author and speaker from Expectation Therapy, to join us. Art and I had a very profound moment at a recent event in New Media Summit. Art, I will never forget that. And I am so looking forward to our conversation. But before we actually jump in and I allow you to introduce yourself better, I didn't realize until just before our our chat that you became an entrepreneur at age seven, selling Christmas cards in July out of the back of comic books. Yes, that's correct. What did you do? (laughs) Buy an ad spot? No, what happened was in back in the early uh, or early 50s, uh, the mid 50s, they had in the back of a comic book an ad for selling Christmas cards. And I had bought in a comic book with my allowance and opened it up and you, you could send in like a dollar, I think it was. And I sent in a dollar. They sent you the Christmas cards and then you could sell them door to door or to your parents or at school or whoever. So I started selling the Christmas cards door to door and I just kept making a little bit of money each time I went out and I kept reinvesting it in more and more Christmas cards until one day I knocked on a guy's door and this big burly guy opens the door and he said, what do you want? And I looked up at him and said, I'd like to sell you some Christmas cards, sir. And he had a big smile on his face. He ended up buying all the Christmas cards for me that I had in my in my little satchel. And as I turned away to walk away and thanked him, he said to me, he said, you're you're quite a little whippersnapper. Would you be interested in having a newspaper route? And I always wanted one, but I was too young. And I told him, I said, I'm too young. And he said, well, I think we can get around it with you. So he proceeded to tell me that he was the manager for the local newspaper. And uh, he gave me 10 customers that I started with. And I built that route in a year to 160 customers, hired my brother and a friend of his to help us deliver papers because I had so many that I, I couldn't get them delivered myself. But I loved going door to door selling. And that's what I did. So that's that's how my entrepreneurial spirit was uh, sparked. The best part of it for me was at Christmas time when I go to collect because I was really concerned and really focused on customer service. In other words, if a customer told me that they wanted their paper put inside the door in between the storm door and the and the. Uh, the outside door, I would put it there. If they wanted it on their their back door, I would put it there. And I would instruct my brother which and his friend which ones went where and all that. But I was always concerned. But the reward for me came at Christmas. When I went to collect at Christmas, the gifts that they gave me, sometimes it was food, sometimes it was tips, but it was so rewarding because everybody was always so appreciative about it. It just reinforced my ability to sell, my 
self-esteem, my ego, all that was just lifted by the entrepreneurial uh, spirit that I had. And uh, that's how I got started as an entrepreneur. And I think only twice in my life have I ever worked for anyone else. And I'm 71 years old now. Wow. And, uh, our- I have only worked for somebody twice. One of them was the United States Marine Corps. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay. We're going to have to come back to that. But I need to share that at age 11, without my parents' permission, I signed up for a paper route. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Well, my mom wouldn't have any part of me doing it on my own. So she would get up and drive me to deliver the papers. And then eventually it turned into mom getting also her own route. And she she took over my route, but she would get so fed up because she also had a daytime job. But I mean, this was something that we got up at, like, well, she, full confession, she, I'm not a morning person. Don't get me out of bed before the sun comes up, okay? And actually, I love going to the West Coast. I'm on, I'm Eastern time zone. I love going to the West Coast and waking up at like four o'clock in the morning and getting a lot of work done before events start. Because, you know, I, that's still my, my groove time. But I feel like it's a magical gift of ours. But anyway... I would drive her crazy when I would go out after school because I would have to say that a lot changed from the 50s to the 90s. And I would go to collect what people owed, but she couldn't stand that I would do it on my own. She wanted to make sure I was safe. So I find it interesting because I liked doing that then. I loved the tips too. That was my ice cream money for lunches because I, I didn't have a bigger dream than that. I just wanted ice cream at lunch. From the cafeteria. I don't remember ever getting gifts though. But now I look at my kids and the way that the newspaper industry has changed. I'm sure that there are still papers delivered and I'll go and hunt down the last remaining Thanksgiving papers, you know, with all the ads. Ads. But it takes a, it takes a while to actually find it because so few people actually get the papers delivered to them anymore that they're all doing the same thing, especially around here. Everybody's going out to find that paper so they know where to be on on Black Friday morning. Yeah, that whole industry has changed. Yeah. The digital era has has changed that whole industry, that whole world. And really think about it. It's taken opportunities away from kids to learn skills that they really need to learn. Because in during that time period, I learned disappointment. I learned joy. I learned satisfaction. A lot of life skills are learned by going out and doing Mm -hmm. and becoming a doer. And we've taken a lot of those, you know, because of the changing times, children don't have those opportunities. So we have to find stuff that we can reward them and teach them in uh, the, the same skills in a different manner. So that's something to think about. Yeah, these days my kids just say to me, "What? What?" Because they each have their own chore. The older two do, the younger three would. They don't understand doing chores for money. They mm-hmm. love to be mama's helpers, but they don't understand that they really could be getting something out of this if they just knew to ask. We don't need to tell them yet, though. <laughs> but the older ones are like, "What do you need done? Does a dog need a bath?" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, the one thing that I wish I had gotten out of that early entrepreneurial experience was some type of organization. Because I remember my parents were divorced. I remember getting back from my dad's house one weekend and my mom telling me this guy that we've been delivering papers to has been getting papers for free for the last nine months. He owes like a hundred dollars and we ended up taking him to court for it. But looking back, I don't think that that was necessarily fair because it was our mistake. It was my mistake for not keeping track of who had paid, who had not. So did he really owe that money considering it was our mistake for delivering the papers for so long? But then again, he had never canceled a subscription. So I guess (laughs) his failure to pay. He knew he didn't pay. Yeah, he knew he didn't pay. (laughs) And we won because he didn't show up to court. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. I I feel almost bad about it now because had we just stopped, then, you know, I I knew that he was, even at 11, I understood financial woes. Mm -hmm. So we could have just shut it down had I been organized. And he wouldn't have had that situation because it would have been a lot easier to pay 30. Or how the heck did you go from Christmas card selling 
and the newspaper route to going into the Marines? Well, let me tell you a little bit about how my journey went. After having a newspaper route, at nine, my parents decided to move to a very, very rural rural area in upstate New York. And I went from living and playing in an urban area, having lots of friends, having lots of uh, kids to play baseball with, to absolutely total isolation. And what it did to me is uh, I became very depressed and uh, lonely, used to talk to the horses and the cows. <laughs> uh, the house we lived in in New Jersey was very beautiful. It was um, it was idyllic. And the house we moved to in the farm was a dump. I mean, we didn't have indoor plumbing. We didn't have running water. We had to go to a spring and, and draw water. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so you could literally talk to the cows and the horses when you were <laughs> using the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, uh, I was just very lonely. And I went to this top of this hill. And I used to have these conversations with God and ask him what was going to become of me because I was so lonely. And my middle school and high school years, because of having moved there, we were outsiders and we were kind of shunned. Teachers were not very friendly to me. And it was just a real dreary part of my life. And uh, by having those conversations with God, I heard a voice after many trips up that hill. And it just said, just be faithful. Just be faithful and Everything will work out. And I, after so many trips up that hill, I began to have faith and believe in that voice. And I trusted it. And I had to figure out a way that I was going to get away from the farm life. It wasn't for me. It wasn't where I wanted to be. So at 17, when I graduated, I decided I was going to go in the Marine Corps. And I ended up in Vietnam in the Marines. And uh, I was a combat Marine. And uh the Marines changed my life because it gave me something that I didn't have from the time we moved from from New Jersey to the farm in upstate New York. And that was discipline and structure because my mom and dad separated uh, for that period of time, and uh, which added to my loneliness. And uh, it, the Marine Corps just filled me with discipline, structure, <laughs> and it really was the best thing that could have ever happened to me at that time, because I think from being a young entrepreneur, then getting very structured in the Marine Corps, it set the stage for my life that I knew that I could do anything that I put my mind to. And I just had faith that everything was going to work out always. Even in Vietnam, in the darkest moments of, of combat, when, you know, everything is really just falling apart around you. I just knew that I just had to be faithful, whether, and really I thought this, you know, whether God, you decide to take me now or take me later, I'm just going to do the best I can at everything. And that kind of really guided me through Vietnam and I survived. And, but all this time, everything I have always been learning these life lessons. And afterwards, uh, after I got out of Vietnam, and I had some really great experiences in Vietnam, I, I almost adopted a little Vietnamese girl. I had my mom and dad take money out of my account so I could buy her schooling and clothes. And it turned into helping this orphanage. And it was just a lot of really great things that just came out of it that really uh, reinforced me again that I was doing the right thing. After Vietnam, came home, got out, uh, went to college, lived a great life most of my life, all the way uh, till September 23rd, 2003. And I'll never forget that date. My wife and I took my wife to the doctor because she had been having lots of problems. And uh, we had already done some testing and we were called into the doctor's office and he said, uh, Art and Vicky, I hate to tell you this, but Vicky, you have ovarian cancer. And, uh, you know, being the positive person I am, uh, you know, I said, well, we're going to whip this. And for three years, she battled and battled. And then on September 16th, 2006, she passed away. 
And it left me devastated Mm -hmm. because I just thought everything was going to be idealistic. We had worked 35 years, had my own business all that time, had stashed money away. You know, we were going to be fine. We were going to retire and all that. I was 60. She was 54. And uh, it didn't work out. But I paid off all the medical bills and found myself pretty much having to start over. And uh, the bad part of for me was is that once she passed away, I dishonored her because I started drinking and started behaviors that were not really conducive to who I had been all my life. And uh, once I, uh, once my kids came to me and kind of smacked me around the head a little bit and woke me up and said, you know, three years later, they said, Dad, you promised Mom you weren't going to act like this and you're doing that. I can, I'll remember the night for the rest of my life. I went out onto the lawn of our ranch, laid on my back and looked into the sky again, looked into the universe and asked God, what was going to become of me. And at that time, I heard another, the same voice, but different message. And the message was, I've given you all the tools. You just got to get up and use them. And that's what I did. I got up from there, rejuvenated, and I went in and started writing. And out of that came the book, Expectation Therapy. Wow. And that's the story of how it began. That's how Expectation Therapy started. Because I look back on my life and I realized I've always had this expectation for excellence. I've always had this expectation and faith that everything was always going to work out the way that it was supposed to be. And if you surrender to that and just believe it and understand it, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. And, And there's a lot of inner tranquility that comes in knowing that no matter what, everything is going to work out. And that's, I came up with expectation therapy because it it, it just came to me in my head. You know, it's how I've healed myself through everything that I've ever, even the joyful things in my life. I've had the expectation that everything is going to be good because I'm doing the right thing. And in the challenges, I had the expectation that everything was going to be good because it was teaching me a lesson. It's about teaching and about me learning the lessons that life presents itself. Never looking at things as woe is me or a victim. I just don't look at things that way. I believe that the events in our life are meant to teach us the good ones and the bad ones. And it's up to us to learn them. So that's how it's went, went how it's went with me. And uh, I just, uh, I firmly believe in it and I try to help others. Wow. So, or, yeah. I don't know if you know, but I was born and raised in Western New York, in Rochester. I, oh, my land. That's where my sister lives now. Oh, yeah? I lived, yeah. I, I grew up just south of Rochester in a place called Avoca. Yeah. It must be so small that I've never even heard of it. I mean, I spent the first 18 years of my life. In, <laughs> do, in you know where, do you know where Bath is? Yes. It's uh, 15 miles north of Bath. It's where all the potato farms are. I didn't even know there were potato farms. Oh, golly. Yeah, big, <laughs> big potato farms. <laughs> well, my, my dad and stepmother were, for, they built some, or they, they bought some property in a little town called Pavilion. Near oh, Le- I know where Pavilion is. Uh-huh, uh huh. Near Leroy Batavia. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, they were the only house on their street. They were right down the street from a cow farm. So once in a while, you know, the cows would get loose. And we, I remember sitting and having Thanksgiving dinner out there right before I married my first husband. And no kidding, a herd of turkeys from a local farm went through the yard. And it was always interesting, but I can totally, had I had the paper out and my parents had already divorced and had I moved out there while trying to do what I was already doing, I can see how it would have been totally just life altering. I grew up in Fairport, which was on the east side of Rochester and I, and I grew up in a village. I mean, I could go I could walk down to the local grocery. I and know Fairport well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's where I grew up. My husband is a United States Air Force veteran. And my older boys have enjoyed many conversations with him about boot camp. My husband absolutely loved boot camp. He's the only person that I know who who did, but he had a very different experience from a lot of people. He hit it off with his instructor 
And he ended up spending most of his time in boot camp in an office creating artwork. <laughs> right. But his shock came after he got out when he was no longer being told what to do and he had to start figuring it out on his own. But it sounds like you didn't, I mean, based upon what you told us, it doesn't sound like you necessarily struggled like that. Or did you? No, I did not. Uh, I, I'm pretty much a know where I'm going, take charge, get it done. Don't second guess, don't question. Just I'm a doer. Matter of fact, <laughs> I, I pride myself in, you know, just doing stuff. I've, I'm, I've got to be busy. I've got to be thinking, writing, doing, speaking, talking, <laughs> teaching. <laughs> I, yeah. I just, I love it. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people, I always, people always ask me, when are you going to retire? And my thing to them is never, I guess. Oh, when are you a member of the unretireables as well? I am. <laughs> oh, I'm a proud member. Actually, that's what the name of my mastermind is. My mastermind group, we call ourselves the Unretireables because we love what we do so much. I should say, though, about my husband, he was born into a, a blue-collar family who, for I don't know actually how far it went back, but I know that my father-in-law, for 30-plus years, worked in a steel factory, and that's what my husband did before he joined the service. And he loved the hard work. He loved the smell of grease on his hands when he got home and dirty clothes and, you know, taking a shower, getting all fresh, but then going back at it the next day. But he had a bad back injury in the service. And when he got out, he found himself unable to do that type of work anymore. So it was really devastating for him. Yeah, I could understand it. Yeah, but he was out there the next, you know, he did get out and he went and got a job at a pizza shop. And eventually after he met me, he realized, you know... I don't need to be putting myself through pain and agony of working where by the time he moved back to Ohio. He's from Ohio. And in the meantime, I had moved to Ohio years before we met and he was still trying to do warehouse and factory work, but it was just killing him. He couldn't handle the pain. So after he lost another job, I was like, why, you know, our faith is very important to to us. And I said, I think God is trying to tell you that it's time to pursue your dreams. So why don't you have a conversation and figure out if this is the time when it's supposed when you're supposed to go to college yourself and learn how to do what you want to do. His childhood dream was becoming a video game designer and developer. So he did and he did and he got his degree and now he's at home doing that. See, it's all about timing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the timing and things, it's really, when I hear stories like that, it it restores my faith that, you know, we all have times in our lives when we're being led in a certain way and we're led by the events in our life, really, when you think about it. And it's up to us to, to actually, instead of fighting them, just go with the flow and see where it leads us. But that takes a lot of faith. And I think that you guys probably had a lot of faith in that you were doing the right thing. You were doing what you were supposed to be doing. And it just amazes me that it always works out when you when you surrender to that timing, when you surrender to all those negative thoughts and just cast them aside and just start living in a, in a faithful way. You know, a lot of people confuse faith as a religious thing. I don't always look at faith as being a big religious thing. I think it's being faithful to what what you believe to be the best course for your life, being faithful to the people that uh, adore and surround you and and who support you and who are are faithful to what you're doing. Faith has as many variables as fear does. Maybe yeah, even it does. more. Yeah, and our faith is very much in line with our with our religious beliefs, but we also have to have faith in ourselves. And I'm ashamed to admit this, but there have been times that I've gotten very mad at God. And I remember standing in my front yard one night asking him when the tests were going to end. Like, when is this cycle, or I now call it seasons, when is this season going to be over? Because I'm damn tired of it. I think on that particular day, my husband's car had been repoed. Mm -hmm. 
and we were already dealing with our utilities being shut off, our rent being late over and over again. And I was working my butt off and he was, I think he was in school. And I was like, when, when God, you know, haven't we had enough of this? But we've had a lot of conversations because we're, I would like to think that we're through that season now. Can I, I ask you a question? Yeah. Why would you be ashamed of ask, uh, being mad at God? Because he's my creator. And yeah. well, I think and, God- I, <laughs> and I don't think I understood at that point, but my husband and I have many conversations about our faith. And I actually had a discussion with him because during that same time, I was getting very angry that there were all these entrepreneurs who are openly atheist and agnostic. Mm-hmm. who were having these huge launches and making five, six figures a month. And it was making me angry. And my husband said something, and I know I could be pissing off a portion of the listening audience that, you know, maybe doesn't have the same religious beliefs as I do. But he's, my husband said to me, he said, babe, their life is what happens here and now. And when they die, they may or not believe in reincarnation. But their wealth comes now. Our our wealth has yet to come. So you might not see it in this lifetime, but live in the way that God wants you to live. And hopefully we'll see it if and when we get to be in his presence. I have a strong re- religious belief, and I believe that my fa- faith is centered in God. But I also understand that there's not everybody that way. And I've had conversations with God about this. And, you know, I think that what I've always heard from him is that be understanding because, you know, he's understanding. And that was my point about your, your being being angry at God. I think God used that anger to actually motivate you, to get you thinking and to get you uh, to a certain point where he felt he needed to have you so that he can use you the way that he wants to. Oh, absolutely. So. You know how you said you were laying in the in your yard and you looked up and you heard the voice? Well, that point came for me in July of 2016. I had been hustling and grinding and that's the best way I can put it. And I wasn't sleeping. I'd gone like a year and a half with two to three hours of sleep. And I was ready to kill myself because I was so just sleep deprived. And I started praying and I had my own spiritual awakening. And the next day I saw my new road and I knew immediately that my path that I needed to get on was by helping other entrepreneurs not get on that path. So listeners, if this is not your first episode, you know that it's do as I say and not as I do, because I still struggle sometimes with getting enough sleep and having all my support and systems set up and actually acting on them like I should. But I know now that I went through all those, like my season, and I'm not saying that there's not going to be another season. I'm sure that there is going to be just like there will be another recession if there's, you know, there just will be. But what I learned from that particularly rough season is what is feeding into this especially good season, if that makes any sense. Makes a lot of sense. It's great. It reminded me of something that, that I, a, a posting that I just did on my, uh, on my social media. And it's a picture of the moon in, in the half phase. And the, the quote goes, uh, I'm always in a phase, but I'm always whole. And, mm. you know, the moon is always whole and we go through phases, but so are we as human beings. We're always whole, but we go through all these phases in life and it's how we handle those phases and how we manage them that makes all the difference in our lives. You know, that we don't let things overwhelm us and, and overtake us, that we learn to manage all those phases is so critical to living a life of happiness and faithfulness and joy uh, and all the things that we wanted. I don't think we were all created to be millionaires. You know, it, it just doesn't work that way. Right. So we have to learn it are and throughout our lives, there's going to be times when we're going to have money. There's going to be times when we don't. It's going to be times we struggle. It, it's how we manage them that mm-hmm. makes all the difference and how we convey that to our children and how they watch us, you know, that we, you know, we're the shining example to our children and it's how we teach them to live their lives. So I think that's what 
those of us that are parents and and all that, uh, that's the blessing bestowed upon us is that we get to teach our children and hopefully they learn from us. So. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break to share some positive productivity news with the listeners and we will be right back. Are you thinking about launching a podcast soon or do you already have a podcast? This is Kim Sa, and I wanted to take a quick second to let you know about the podcast production services that my team within Positive Productivity is now offering. From editing through marketing and everything in between, we offer complete packages starting at only $450 a month. All you have to do is record. To learn more about our podcast production services, head on over to positiveproductivity.net and we can get you started as soon as today. Welcome back, listeners, to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. We're having an amazing conversation with Art Costello from Expectation Therapy. Art, wow, I can't wait to jump into part two of our chat. But I want to actually go to my cheat sheet, which is the intake form that all guests fill out, including you. And I just, I love one of your answers. The question that I asked you, what what does positive productivity mean to you? And I said, this is not a quick question. And your response on the form was, how is expect and manage our expectations are the foundation of our existence? It is the seed from which we grow. I can prove it. I understand what you're trying to say because I speak typo. (laughs) But I love how, you know, managing our expectations is part of what you wrote, because I think that's where we can get into so much trouble sometimes. Just like before the break, you said not everybody is meant to be a millionaire. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't honestly care if I'm ever a millionaire. Would I mind if there's millions in my bank account? Absolutely not. But is that my expectation? No. So your statement right at the end, I can prove it. Wow. How can you prove it? I I believe that God has planted the seed of expectation in every man, woman, and child. At birth, we're given this gift of expectation. It's planted there. How we use it makes all the difference. And how you can prove that is if you look at whether you're a creationist, an evolutionist, whatever, you know, intelligent design, no matter what your belief is, an atheist, One thing you cannot argue about is that from the earliest man, he started expecting. He had to do it at that point as a tool for survival. But if you watch how man has progressed over time and how we keep on progressing now, and we're progressing at a rapid rate now because of the technological age that we're in. But I think if you look at the history of everything, that there's the proof that our expectations are what matter and how we handle them has made all the difference in man's life. And woman's. I'm thinking of of earlier conversations with guests on the podcast where, you know, the guest has grown up in a struggling family you know, maybe all blue collar or even unemployed. And then they knew they expected something else from themselves. Because it's so if we look around, we can see people who stay in what they were born into, because they don't expect anything else. Or maybe that's the seed that God planted. That's what they expect from themselves. But to me, that's a way of proof. Because the thought of growing into something else. I want, I don't want to say better because who's to say if it's better or not. Well, I think, I think part of this, Kim, is that you have to understand that, that expectations now and actually probably since the early days, expectations have also been used as a tool to control people. I mean, government churches all use expectations to control people, politics, particularly now, or that's all used as a way to control people. Because if you can control somebody's expectations, you have control of them. That's why I'm so, so passionate about what I teach, because the more you learn to trust your expectations and move forward with them, the more independent you become, the more your self-growth, self-development, 
all of it becomes so strengthened. You, you couldn't blow me off of my theory of expectations with dynamite. I just firmly believe in it because I know what it's done in my life. And that's, that's why I teach it. But understanding in my book, I write about a thing called collective diminished expectations. And that's what advertisers, churches, schools, politics all use to control populations. Somebody had once asked me about how did I think slavery started? Uh, how did I think that, how do I believe that, that the Jews and the Armenians were led to their deaths in droves? Well, the Third Reich and the Turks and, and the white slave owners had to diminish the expectations of the populations of people that had control. In other words, the German people had to think less of the Jews. The white slave owners had, uh, the white population had to think less of blacks in order to enslave them. The Turks with the Armenians, that they just had to devalue them. And that's how they can, they gain control. And that's how people were let that happen to masses amounts of people. I believe in the goodness of all people. And I don't believe that we ever would have wanted to enslave any population at all. That's not God's way. But it happened because people in power used the power of expectation to diminish what other people thought. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But it also makes me more not confused. Confused is not the right word I'm looking for. I want to know how we can control our expectations when we have all these outside forces that are trying to control our expectations. Because there well, are there is part of me that and I don't know this for a proof. This could be, you know, my own version of paranoia, but there is part of me that can't help but to wonder if the government is purposely keeping some classes of the society where they are so that they can't be better than they are, you know, quote, better than they are. Almost like a big brother or I'm trying to think of another book, but I can't right now. I had a brain fart. You're, you're fine. I mean, yes, I agree with you. I think that their government does, does try to control people and keep people suppressed in certain things because it... <laughs> I mean, you're almost talking about an idealistic world, a Walden's Farm type thing where we're all flourishing and happy and uh, living the lives that we, we want to. But that's, I believe that that's the utopia that God has planned for us. Government doesn't want that to happen. And particularly, not only our own, you know, here, but, but foreign governments certainly want to control their populations. But North I think- Korea. If, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you can name tons of them, mm -hmm. but their power comes from controlling people. The more they control people, the more they have power. Mm -hmm. And that's what they, they strive for. They want to be always, always, somebody always wants to be more powerful than somebody else when yeah. it comes to that stuff. But, you know, our expectations are at the core of all of it. I mean, what we expect uh, really matters. But more important, and I say this quite a bit, is how we expect even matters more. Because, yes. you know, we're constantly b being bombarded with your expectations don't matter. Oh, d don't expect this, you won't be hurt. Well, whoever said we're not supposed to be hurt? That's how we grow. When we run into these difficult situations, isn't that how we learn? Isn't that the way that we grow as individuals and our personal development rises? If you have this idealistic life, we're never going to have the kind of growth. Everything is kind of stagnates. So expectations are critical to our personal growth and how we handle them and manage them. Oh, I love that. My oldest child just turned 16. Since he was 11, he's been, he's had his job of, he umps junior baseball and he gets paid well for it. So I had a conversation with him a few months ago. I asked him what he wants to do when he gets, gets out of high school. And he said, I want to go to college to be an accountant. 
And that completely threw me off guard. And I said, why? And he said, well, I heard they made a lot of money. I said, now I need to ask you something. I said, look at your future 30 years from now. Are you going to be happy if you are an accountant for the next 30 years? And he said, no, I actually don't like math. I I said, well, then is it really about the money? And he said, no, I guess not. And they said, so let's try this again. What do you want to do? He's like, well, I really want to be a major league baseball umpire. Wow. Yeah. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, because the money's good and I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, and I said, well, then we need to find the way to get you there. I said, I know it's, I know it's a tough field. But if there's a will, there's a way. And he said, okay. Thankfully, my husband or my ex-husband, his dad, remarried and his new father-in-law, I would like to think, has some connections. But i that's something that's huge that has evolved in my own life through the various seasons. I never realized just how important relationships were while er, until I left my ex-husband. I mean... With that said, though, he was very emotionally controlling, and I wasn't really allowed to leave the house except to go to work. Yeah. So I didn't have the opportunity to build connections. And internet, you know, it, internet wasn't like it is today. Mm-hmm. But since then, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I've got a quick story I can tell you about Please. My, my middle son. He, very, very smart, high school I think third, fourth in his class. Uh, I always thought he's so argumentative. I thought he'd become an attorney. Day before he was to go to start college, he came to me and said, Dad, I don't want to go to college. I want to work with my hands. And I said, well, if you're going to want to work with your hands, then you got to go find a trade. I said, because I want you to be skilled at something. So he said, well, I'd like to be an electrician. And you've got a friend that owns an electrical company. Can can I go talk to him? And I said, yeah. So my son went and talked to him and went to work for him, didn't go to college. And I thought, you know, that's fine as long as he, he does what he wants. In a year's time, he was the youngest journeyman electrician in our area. Two years, he was the youngest master electrician And in five years, he owned the company that my friend owned. He bought it out from my friend because my friend wanted to sell it. Wow. In eight years, he's become one of the largest solar electrical contractors in the Austin area and doing very well for himself, does nothing but big commercial solar and electrical jobs. And, you know, he's doing well. He's happy. If he would have done what I wanted to become an attorney, he probably would have been miserable. But he did what he wanted to do, and he's as happy as can be. So, you know, I'm not going to argue with the point, you know, letting them do what they want to do. And as long as they understand the consequences of it all, and that's what it is, you know, yeah, it it works. I talk about having faith earlier on. I was considered the black sheep of my family. I'm the one who, (laughs) instead of going to church on my 18th birthday, I went to the tattoo parlor. (laughs) And then I went to art school while all my other siblings went to really good liberal arts I don't even know if it's proper to call them liberal arts. I mean, when my youngest sister went to Cornell, Ivy League, and went into something rational. But I studied interior architecture, and I thought that my dream was to be the head of a top architecture company's interior design department in Manhattan. I wanted the loft that Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore lived in, in Ghost. (laughs) That's what I thought my dream was. But then I had my first son, and I realized there's no way I can leave this baby at home all the time to be working like I am. But my expectations have evolved over and over again. So I would love to know more about what expectation therapy actually is. Expectation therapy is a three-stage protocol that will help teach you how to manage your expectations. It's based on a formula 
there in physics, there's a formula called the formula of expectation. And what it does is it determines for scientists the probability of experiments and what the outcomes are going to be. I took that formula and made it into a behavioral formula or protocol that's based on identifying, clarifying, and then solidifying with an, with a written plan. The identification part is that you take and you really get very introspective and identify what you really want. Once we identify what we really want, then we can start to clarify and zone it down and really hone it into being a certainty in our mindset. And then the solidification part is writing a written plan to get you there. It's very simple. It's very doable. Uh, you can do it from age 10 to to 95 or 100 if you're if you have the faculties to do it but you uh, it's a very very simple way to do it and I'm trying to figure out the best way to word it you can it, it just focuses you on what you want and then it gives you a plan how to get there what, how do you feel about these um, 90 day plans or four month plans or even like five year plans? How, how far out do you think we should be planning or do you think it depends on the person and the, and the expectation? Well, I think that 90 day plans are good and any kind of plan that you can follow is good because it keeps you on track and keeps you uh, accountable. You have to have a plan that keeps you accountable. So accountability becomes a, a huge factor in the success of the plan. Uh, so I think that as long as you, you can plan out as long as you want, but you better be able to uh, adjust, you know, because it's life is all about making adjustments because it changes in the snap of a finger, your life can change and something that you expected to happen tonight could be totally different than what really does happen. And that's why you have to be able to manage your expectations. And that's the, the importance of it. Because as you and I both know, things can change instantaneously. I mean, just look at some of the world events that changed the world in a matter of 9-11 uh, the death of John Kennedy, the man going to the moon. I mean, those are all events that changed the course of lives over time. And we had to learn how to adjust to those. You know, think of all the things that 9-11 changed as far as security in our country and how it's changed and evolved. So we're always having to adjust. And that's a lot of what expectation therapy teaches is how to make those adjustments mm. and, and how you live with them. Uh, because some people can't adjust. They have a hard time adjusting. Yeah. And it, it's critical. It's critical to your happiness. I mean, some people get stuck at those at events that happen. Uh, could be the death of a spouse. I could have, I could have folded when my wife died. Uh, you know, I didn't have to work anymore. I could have retired and collected Social Security and lived at the at the ranch and just uh, and just existed. But I'm not a just exist kind of person because I have this expectation that something is better always. I'm never satisfied because I always believe that there's another adventure around the corner that God has something in store for me. You know, it could be bad. It could be good. You know, I don't know. But I'm always looking for that next adventure that God has planned for my life. And it's what keeps me going. It what keeps me young. You yeah. know, you, you've seen me. You, do yeah. I look like I'm 71? No, you don't. <laughs> I don't, you know. No. And it's uh, it's such a, a, a blessing to, to be able to look and feel vibrant at 71. Mm -hmm. And I want to keep that. And I think what does it is this expectation of always having something further to look forward to. I have friends that have retired at 60 and 55. And 
they say, all I want to do is sit in a chair and watch TV. And I'm going, oh, my land, why would you want to do that? You're going to rot away in a chair, you yeah, know? Yeah, that sounds like death to me. <laughs> it does. It, it really sounds like death. Like, I would be so bored. I would be, too. And it, their expectation is they worked for 20 or 30 years for a company. They expected to retire. They expected to live in that chair after that. And that's their expectation. They don't want anything more than that. And I go, but there's so much more. Mm -hmm. So so it's how you frame your expectations that really drive. I believe that it's the driving force that keeps man always going. It's yep. what what doers have. Doers always have expectations. You know, they always have high expectations and they learn to manage them. They learn to manage them and it keeps them vibrant. Our, I'm horrible about names. So forgive me for having to ask when you already shared it. What was your wife's name? Oh, Beverly. Beverly. Okay. Have you, and I, this is me being nosy and I apologize. I can't imagine if my husband, can, my current husband, knowing that he's my soulmate, I can't imagine if he passed. And I've told him this, when you pass I'm not done, but I'm not, you are it for me and I will, I will be single. And he's like, well, I'm not asking you to commit to that. Have you found somebody else? Yeah. Uh, my current wife is, her name is Beverly. We've been, we oh, were okay. just. Your current wife is Beverly. Yeah, Vicky was my, my, okay, Vicky. my wife that passed away. You know, Vicky left me with one of the greatest gifts that uh, a woman I think could ever leave a man. Two weeks prior to her passing, she said to me, she said, she called me into the bedroom and she had been pretty much incapacitated. She had done chemo so much. She had chemo brain and that's where the, the chemo destroys brain cells. And uh, the doctors had told me she's going to have some lucid moments and listen to her. She called me in the bedroom and she said, Art, I want to give you a gift. And I said, a gift? And she said, yeah, she said, I want to release you from your marriage vows so you can go find somebody to love as much as you've loved me and bid as good to them as you've been good to me. And I said, I can't do it. I just can't. Wow. And uh, it took me three years to realize what a gift that was that she was giving me to ha have the freedom to go and find somebody else and the strength that it must have taken her to tell somebody you had been with for 38 years that you love dearly, that you were giving them to permission to go find someone else. Mm -hmm. The strength of that woman to do that is amazing. Mm. And I didn't realize the power of that gift, but it was a gift because it, you know, when I finally got myself straightened out and I did start looking for somebody, I found Beverly who was 54 years old, had never been married, didn't need a man in her life. She's a professional, uh, has her own career, was very independent, still is independent. But we get along so great. She's been such a blessing in my life and in my kids' life and my grandkids' life. They love her. You know, it's just, it's, there it is again, that expectation that everything is going to work out. And, uh, I am blessed to have Beverly in my life. She is she is truly a gift from above. Well, considering the gift from above, from above, I do believe you do still have a gift. So what, if any expectations do you think? See, and I was so intrigued in your story that I already forgot your first wife's name again. I should have just written it down. Thank you, Vicky. I'm horrible with names. <laughs> the only reason I could remember my husband now, his last name while we were dating was because he had it tattooed on his arm. <laughs> okay, so it's not just you. Listeners, I want you to know that I'm not trying to be rude. Um, but do you think Vicky has a an expectation that she would have for you today? From above? I think she would absolutely be stunned today if if she has seen how I've grown and evolved. Mm. I think Vicky would be absolutely stunned. Uh, Beverly has actually brought out the best in me. She's a super encourager. Vicky was more conservative and was more concerned about worrying about the future. Mm. Where Beverly is such an encourager and uh, and encourages my growth 
encourages my children's and grandchildren's growth. So they're two distinctly different types of people, not only physically, but mentally. And mindfully, yeah. Yeah, mindfully. And uh, it's just been the evolution of of relationships, how they they evolve and how they can uh, really be so different, but yet so loving and caring. I mean... I don't even know how to say it. I'm just blessed beyond. Do you know when I was nine years old and I went to that hilltop, do you know what I prayed for one time? What's that? And I'm getting really personal. I asked God one time, is there anyone ever going to love me? Mm. Because I felt so unloved. And uh, everything that I prayed for as a nine-year-old has come to fruition. Amazing. Because I... I believed and I've been faithful and I've been so blessed. But I believe when I was nine years old and I went to that hilltop and prayed about many things that it, it's taken almost 61 years for it to, to come to, to fruition. And if we're faithful to the things that God has planned in our lives, we're, they're going to materialize and we just be faithful to them and not try to force them and just try to be the best that we can always be, that they'll happen. Yeah. I want to offer to listeners to go to episode, I believe it's 350, Christina Miller, who some of you might have seen on the Facebook show, Garage of Blessings. And it's K-R-I-S-T-I-I-N-A. So if you go to the kimsutton.com forward slash PP350, you should find it there. But I'll also have a link in the show notes. She has the same message. And it's amazing because the day that I talked to her, I was going through just the end of the previous season of our life. And I needed that message. We have to stop worrying about the future sometimes and just be here and now. And I have chronic idea disorder. So for me to actually sit here, be still and listen is almost impossible. But that's what what month are we in? Okay, listeners, we're recording this at the end of October 2018. It took me 39 years, six months to figure it out. And trust me, it's worth it. Okay, no, wait, that would have been 39 years in one month by the time I figured it out. It doesn't happen. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily happen when you're in your 20s or in your 30s. It might take 65 years for you to learn how to be mindful, but it's totally worth it. Have you by any chance art seen I Can Only Imagine? It's a new movie that came out this year. I know the song. I haven't seen the movie. Okay. It's an amazing movie, and it's about the song. It is so beautiful. If you and Beverly don't have any plans this week, and I say get it from Amazon or the video store or whatever. I will, absolutely. Yeah. The first weekend that I got it, I think I, well, I stayed up way too late, and I think I watched it six times. (laughs) But it that's a major lesson I've gotten this year. Stop worrying about the future and just start enjoying now and dream big. And that's actually a big something that my husband's done for me. I mean, you and I met a month and a half ago. And you know, I have five kids, leave my husband at home for a week with the five kids. And I know I'm going to get an insane husband when I get home. Well, I got home, I was home for two weeks, and I left again for a week. And I got home, and right away, a new opportunity popped up. And I was actually scared to tell him. Like I was crying in the car thinking about how I was going to tell him, because I know the stress that it puts him through. So I told him, I said, I was scared to tell you. And he's like, sweetie, we both knew this was coming. How can I tell you not to go? And we both knew that we were, that this was coming. And this is what you've been dreaming about. If you don't go, I'm going to be angry with you because the stress that I've been going through hasn't been worth it. So go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a blessing. I'm not going now, but we all need somebody that's going to feed our dreams and we need to believe in them ourselves. Amen. I have loved every single second of this conversation, including the pre-chat, which listeners, you already heard some of. Where can listeners find you online, connect, and get to know more about you? Expectationtherapy.com on social media, Facebook is Expectation Therapy and Art Costello, uh, Instagram, Expectation Therapy, Twitter, My Expectation, all my contact information on there, uh, all my... You can purchase my book there. You can, my court, there's a link to my course. Uh, there's a free book, uh, ebook I wrote on, uh, success that's on there that I would 
hope everybody would download it and uh, and read it. It's uh, it's really great about how to create your success, uh, whether it be in business or in relationships or uh, anything in life. Fabulous. And, uh, I hope we can do this again, Kim. Oh, without a doubt, we have to do it again. You and I weren't partners during that very, like, just incredible experience for no reason. This is just the beginning. Listeners, I want you to go over to the kimsutton.com forward slash PP515, where you will find all of Art's social media links, his website link, links to the other resources that I've talked about, including Christina's episode, and uh, I can only imagine. And I want you to leave an aha moment that you've received, that you've gotten as a result of this episode. You can leave that in the comments area below the show notes. Art, I would love to know if you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners. Yeah, I want to share uh, this poem that I that I read one time, and I, I end almost everything I do with it. It says, I believe in you. No matter what you've done, I believe in you. No matter what's happened to you, I believe in you. No matter what people say, I believe in you. No matter if you are rich or poor, I believe in you. No matter your age or size, I believe in you. No matter your IQ, I believe in you. No matter where you live, I believe in you. No matter your position or lack of one, I believe in you. No matter, no matter, no matter, I believe in you. And I believe in all people. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.